This sermon audio is presented to you by Pastor Tommy Brandon and Calvary Church of Fort Worth. For more information, visit our website at calvaryftw.com. And his disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither had this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Check these next words out. These are fascinating. I must, everybody say, work the works. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, say this with me now. I am... The light of the world. When he had thus spoken, he spat on the ground, made clay of the spittle, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay and said unto him, Go wash in the pool of Siloam, which is by interpretation sent. He went his way, therefore, and washed and came, seeing. The neighbors, therefore, and they which were before had seen him that was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, this is he. Others said, no, he's just like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore said they unto him, well, how were thine eyes opened? And he answered and said, a man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, go. Go to the pool of Siloam. And wash. And I went and I washed and I received sight. This morning, this particular portion of scripture will be our setting for once again a sermon that I'm calling Faith 2.0. Faith at a higher level. Faith at a place that you've never been before. Faith that is willing to take the limits off of God. Faith that releases God to do what only God can do. Because if you can do it, it didn't require faith. If you can achieve it, it didn't require faith. If you could go buy it, it didn't take faith. If you know someone that can give it to you, it didn't take faith. But every now and then, you come into a position in life where you know without question you don't have the money, you don't have the network, you don't have the resources, you don't have the intellect, you don't have the answer that you need. And it's in these moments where you've got to step up. Everybody say step up. you got to step up in faith and release God at a greater place, at a higher dimension than you've ever known him before and simply said You give him control of what you can't handle yourself. This is where we get started this morning. There are four types of healing miracles that are repeated through the Gospels. We find them through Matthew, Luke, and Mark, and John. And and we see that these miracles are repeated through these books of the Synoptic Gospels. That's the lame, walking the mute, talking, the blind receiving sight, and the deaf hearing. Now, all of these are 
amazing miracles. But for some reason, and I think I might know, but for some reason for me personally, I'm fascinated with the blind receiving their sight. Now, I'm not quite certain if it all comes down to this, but one thing that I think is possibly a connection with me in this particular type of miracle is my grandmother, the mother of my father. She's deceased now, but in her latter years of life, she was blind. And I have such vivid memories of watching who I called Granny. I watched my Granny, Brandon, go from life Uh, However she wanted to live, she would drive her own car. She was one of those old school ladies that had her a real working garden in her backyard. And I mean, she grew everything herself. She was the type of grandmother that when she was, she lived three hours north of us. She was the type of grandmother, some of y'all might have one, that when we would come in, uh, my daddy would get off of work around 5, 5.30. We would hit the road on Friday evening, and we would take uh, the highways up from South Louisiana up to North Louisiana, and we would come into a little place called Bossier City, and it could be 10.30 at night, and she would start cooking a whole meal for us. That was my granny, Brandon. But later on, she lost her sight, and I remember how everything changed. She was such a strong, independent woman. For my, my dad's dad, he died when my dad was just 18 years old. So this lady helped raise three boys on her own. She owned her own business. She had multiple rental properties. She was as strong as they come. And whenever she lost her sight, she started having to lean on other people. When she lost her sight, she had to start asking help in areas that she never wanted to have help in before. So I watched her go down, as they say, in her health due to her lack of eyesight. I think all of us in this room today, whether it's our sight, our hearing, our, our, no matter what it might be, our mobility, I think we all have a tendency to take things for granted, don't we, until it's gone. So for whatever we do have, however much sight we have or however much hearing we still have, however much mobility we still have, I think we ought to just give God praise for the goodness of the Lord that's on our lives with our physical abilities. Come on, somebody. Amen. I wore eyeglasses myself for a long time. I, I, had, I had glasses all the way back to uh, teenage years. And I made a decision several years ago, uh, a decision that it didn't, it, it, once I found out that I was a candidate, I just jumped on board and went with it. And I made the decision to have LASIK. And there, uh, once I made that decision to have LASIK, thank the Lord, not only was I a candidate, but the procedure went well. And it was the best decision that I've ever made for myself with my eyesight. But as they warned me, and as I did not care at the time, they did tell me that the older you get, this LASIK's not going to help you with small print. So here I am. I'm too young to be doing it, but I find myself with that weird movement. Y'all know that movement that you used to make fun of granny about? That movement's now on me. My daughter will come up and put something right in my face, and I'll be like, oh, what? And I'll find myself with that weird movement. 
I wish I had a church that knew what I was talking about. Because I know y'all do. Don't be acting like y'all don't know about it. Whole reason we got rid of them hymnals and went to these screens was because all that movement was distracting the move of God in the church. So don't be acting like you got it all together. Knocking the person in front of you. Quit hitting me. I'm trying to see you. Eyesight. I don't know if you've ever played any, any baseball, but if you have or if you've ever been out to a baseball field, you've probably sat in the stands or even if you were standing in the batter's box, you've heard familiar sounds across any ballpark in any place in America. You hear possibly the catcher chattering, batter, 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 batter. You hear that. You also hear parents screaming, that's my boy or that's my girl if it's, if it's girl softball. But then every now and then when somebody's in the batter's box and there's a bad pitch that comes through, it's a little out open or it's inside or if it's a little high, if it's down low, and they don't take a cut at a bad pitch, oftentimes you hear this, made, uh, this statement made, good eye, good eye. Now, Probably you heard it like, good eye, babe, good eye, good eye, babe. Come on, come on, good eye, babe. Take a stick now, get a stick. Come on, blue, that was wide. Come on, blue. Come on now, get a wrap, get a wrap, get a wrap. Come on now, we need you on base. Good eye, good eye. The good eye was that the man or the girl, the boy, he did not swing at a bad pitch. Good batters wait for the right pitch, a good pitch. Are you tracking with me? Well, then that's the baseball context of this. But then there's a biblical context of having a good eye. A good eye from a biblical perspective is seeing things with God's eye. Some people say they've never seen a miracle, but you're sitting by one. Some people say, I'm not sure if miracles still happen but we just welcomed Miss Caroline to church this morning. You say, well, miracles don't happen these days, but yet people will come to Jesus today all around the planet Earth and give their hearts to the Lord and receive forgiveness of their sin. That, ladies and gentlemen, is a miracle. And if you have a bad eye, you won't see it. But if you have a good eye, you'll recognize the miraculous when it's in front of you. Can I have an amen this morning? There were some Jewish rabbis that pointed out a little, a little twist on this good eye, bad eye topic, if you will. And it went something like this. It had to do with a person's attitude towards others. A bad eye turned an eye to the needy and to those that were poor and those that were without. But a good eye turned and saw the potential to meet a need. So I'm just going to ask you real quick before we go further today. Do you have good eyes or do you have bad eyes when it comes to the needs that are around you this morning? Now concerning the blind man in our story, in our text, ophthalmologists would probably call his condition irreversible. 
Because there's a little statement that was joined in our text that was extremely important that you cannot afford to miss. It said that this man was born blind. Unlike my grandmother that that lost her eyesight later on in life, this man was born blind. So therefore, the natural window of opportunity for him to have good eyesight that natural window of opportunity had closed. But closed natural opportunities are the opportunities where God can show up and do something in the miraculous. Let's think about the life of Sarah. Sarah's natural window of opportunity to have a child had come and gone. But the Lord had an ability to open a supernatural window of opportunity. And therefore, we have the birth of her children. And Isaac is born. Let me ask you this this morning. I want you to catch how I'm phrasing this. Have you ever felt like your natural window or your window of opportunity had closed? Maybe you feel like one of these type of people. Maybe you've lost count on how many specialists that you've gone to or how many treatments you've taken. Maybe your last marriage ended in divorce and you're not sure if you can love someone again, let alone trust them. Maybe repeated mistakes seem to have sabotaged whatever integrity that you had. Maybe there's a social stigma that has cut you off from your friends and your family. Maybe you feel sexually broken and that you're not sure what a healthy sexual uh, relationship would be. These are not hypotheticals. Most of the time when I'm preaching, I will make those kind of statements, reaching to connect with you that are sitting in the pew. But these are actual lives that Jesus Christ himself healed. These are the woman with the issue of blood. This was the woman at the well. This was the tax collector. This was the leper. This was the woman that was caught in adultery. So let's bring this back home and make it about us today. I don't know what circumstances that you find yourself in. I don't know if it's physical, if it's social, if it's emotional, if it's spiritual. I'm not real sure where you are sitting today in your relationship with God and your relationship with others and bigger than any of that, the relationship with yourself. I'm not sure where you are with this, but I do know this much. God is the one that can give second chances. He gives third chances. He gives fourth chances. My God gives thousand chances chances. He's always in the chance giving business. No matter what it might seem has come and gone in your life and that you feel like you missed your window of opportunity and that nothing good is ever going to happen for you in your life. I just say try Jesus Christ. Allow him to do what you cannot even imagine being able to be done. Come on somebody clap your hands to the Lord this morning. It's never, everybody say never, Never. it's never too late with Jesus. 
Everybody say never. never. It's never too little with Jesus. When Jesus is involved, you have to never say never because the limits are unlimited. The potential is unlimited. The possibilities are unlimited. When you recognize your need and get Jesus involved, all things are possible if you'll just reach out and believe. Come on, somebody. Clap your hands one more time this morning. Praise God. While life doesn't go as planned every day, what we have a tendency to do when it kind of becomes a foul ball, when it doesn't go where we want it to go, what we do is we look for someone to blame or we look for something to blame. Anybody know somebody like that that's always looking to blame somebody else? All of us have a tendency to blame something or someone. And this is exactly what happened here in this text with the family and the friends of this man that was born blind. They made a false assumption, and what it was was they asked the question, who sinned? They were assuming that this was a generational curse. They assumed there was a sin issue. They assumed that someone was lacking faith. So therefore, they just made this false assumption. Who sinned? Was it this man's parents or was it this man? Someone had to do something to cause this situation to come about. But Jesus steps up right on time as he always does. And he reveals to us and to them, his audience, and to us as the readers of this story, we have now the revelation that it had nothing to do with someone sinning. It had nothing to do with someone lacking faith. Jesus says this happened so that the works of God, someone shout the works of God. This happened so that the works of God might be displayed. Come on, somebody. At some point, you and I must recognize that the very thing we're asking God to change just might be the thing that God is using to change us. The very thing we want relief from is actually the very thing that's working it out in us. The very thing that we dread is the very thing that's putting us on the right path. Somebody in here needs to thank God for unanswered prayers because we've prayed about a lot of things. We've asked God to get us out of a lot of situations. We've asked God to remove us from a lot of places. And sometimes God just lets it stay, lets it sit, lets it remain because he knows what is true in Romans 8 and 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. Nudge your neighbor right now and tell him, he's got me right where he wants me. Come on, somebody. Tell him like you mean it. He's got me right where he wants me. Didn't say that he's got you where you want to be. God has you right where he wants you to be because he's at work. Somebody say, I receive that. If you'll let him He will recycle. Everybody take your hands and do this. 
He'll recycle your pain for someone else's gain. He'll take what you're wanting relief from and use it for your testimony. Somebody said it right here on the platform by song, Adam Shepard to be exact. He said if you never had a problem, you'd never know that it could solve them. Somebody said it this way, you'll never have a testimony without having a test. We're looking to get out of the storm and the Lord's looking to bring us through the storm. Come on, somebody. Some of life's greatest miracles look like complete disasters at first glance. When we see it, when we feel it, when we hear it, when we, when we experience it, we, we begin to tremble with fear. We begin to tremble with doubt. We begin to ask so many questions that do not have answers. But those are the days, those are the times, those are the situations where God can show up, where there's faith at a higher level. God can show up and do something that never could be done outside of the supernatural. God can take the worst that life has to offer and he can use it for eternal purposes. Something tells me that this blind man, something tells me that he didn't have a good first half of his life. But how many of you would agree with me that he enjoyed the second half of his life twice as much? God's going to turn it around. God's going to turn it around. Late in the midnight hour, God can turn it around for your good. Let's clap our hands again this morning. Receive the word of the Lord. Receive the word of the Lord today. Praise the Lord. I try my best to connect with my little girls as often as I can in so many different ways that I can. And I'm I'm not near the dad that I want to be, and I'm trying to be better and better. But I'm always looking for little things that I, I see if they have interest in it. I try my best to have interest in it. And the, as most of you know that are uh, connected with this church for any length of time uh, and know me on a personal level, I have a few interests. Uh, and one of which is hunting. I love to hunt. And by means of bow and arrow, I love archery. I love bow hunting. But I never thought that my little girl would be interested. And I wish I could take the applause and say, I got her interested, but I didn't. But her school got her interested in the PE program of which her PE teacher attends here at our church now. And Miss Ward got her into archery along with all the other classmates and they would shoot the little targets in the gym and, and she came home so excited about archery. Well, boy, I saddled that thing up real quick. You know what I'm saying? Oh, baby, I'm sorry, but I got to take Sayla to the archery range, baby. It's for Sayla. It's for Sayla. Sayla wants to go shoot her bow, Denora. It's not me. It's Sayla. Y'all see how I work in that? Somebody needs to take notes in here. You can get away with murder when you put it off on them kids, boy. That's why my kids like to play golf. They like to hunt. (laughs) Well, I'll be working it. One of the most important things that Selah had to grasp for archery, and this goes with all shooting sports, and some of you are far greater uh, shots than I am, so you will know what I'm telling is true. One of the ultimate things you got to get a hold of 
is which eye's dominant. If you're shooting from your weak eye, you'll never hit the broad side of a barn. But once you learn that you have a dominant eye, and once you lean on that and trust in that, man, with a little bit of practice, you can become a great shot. Here's where I think we're making a mistake. A lot of us are living life through our weak eye, and we're not using our dominant eye. We have a critical eye, so therefore we're always criticizing. We have a judgmental eye, so therefore we're never understanding God's grace. We have a hateful eye, so we never know the love of the Lord or the love of others. We have an eye that's, that's kind of weak in the sense that it's always doubting. We have a doubtful eye. So when we have a doubtful eye, we'll never understand the truth. I wish I could preach a little bit. That old adage that seeing is believing, it's true. But something's even truer than that. Believing is seeing. Whenever you can have an eye of faith, because faith is more than just living by faith. You've got to train your eyes to see by faith. Because if you're not seeing by faith, you're seeing what your natural eye can see. Your natural eye can see everything wrong with everything. Your natural eye can see why everything will never work out. Your natural eye will see all things that are ugly and, and improper and inappropriate. And your, your natural eye will see all things that are coming up too short than standard. But whenever you get an eye of faith, whenever you can start using your dominant eye, when you can start looking through the Word of God, when you start looking through the cross of Christ, when you start seeing things through God's point of view, you start seeing things through faith, and with faith you begin to please God. And when you please God, God will move mountains out of your way. When you please God, he'll straighten crooked paths in your life. When you please the Lord, all things will work out for good. Somebody clap your hands one more time this morning. Faith is more than just a way to live. Faith is a way of seeing. Because if you could see it, you can believe it. And if you can believe it, you can see it. Here we have this mystery, this wonderful, glorious, supernatural dimension of faith at a higher level. Faith 2.0. When you start seeing things happen that doctors said were impossible. You start seeing things happening that your own family said would never work out. You start walking in this faith because your eyes are seeing the impossibilities that are with God. You start seeing things you never dreamed to see before. Good eye, baby. Good eye. Good eye. Good eye. You got a good eye, babe. Get a stick now. Get a wrap. Get on base. Somebody say, I receive. Woo. Hallelujah. Like so many of these miracles that Jesus performed as our, as our worship team comes and helps me close this morning. Let me, let me kind of find me somewhere to land here. But as most miracles that Jesus performed, this one. This one came with instructions. Everyone say instructions. I went over to Pastor Anthony and Aaron Moorhead's home, of which just had another one of our newest babies, little Xander Winston Moorhead, has come to be with the Lord. 
uh, because, man, God has called him into his care and he's given Anthony and Aaron stewardship over him. It's just beautiful to watch all these babies uh, that are being born and these parents being blessed to be able to parent them and oversee them and raise them up. But I went over to Anthony and Aaron's house <laughs> and if anybody in here knows Pastor Anthony, he's so funny. He's, man, that dude is, y'all think I'm high strung. Woo. That brother makes me look like Lazarus. <laughs> that boy is high strung, boy. As soon as we walked in the door, man, you gotta come see Xander's room. You gotta come see Xander's room. You gotta come see Xander. I'm like, man, quit bouncing. I'll come, but you're gonna have to slow down a little bit. So we get back into the room, and, and he wants to show me all the work they've done, and it was beautiful. And then he showed me the new baby crib. And Brother Martin, it was a beautiful baby crib. Well, I wasn't thinking real clearly, and I said, did y'all struggle putting that together? Y'all struggle? He said, no, it was easy. I said, man, I don't like you at all, Anthony. He said, why? I said, man, I lost every bit of Holy Ghost I've ever had trying to put my baby's crib together. And then Denora reminded me. I'd kind of forgotten it. She said, yeah, baby, but we didn't have instructions with ours. And boy, I started thinking, that's right. That's exactly right, Anthony. You got instructions. Anybody can follow instructions. Step up and do it daddy's way and put a crib together. But I must admit, I had to call in backup from like two or three different guys from the church to help me. But still, we didn't have instructions. Man, instructions make everything so much easier. And this miracle came with instructions. <laughs> Woo. All, all these miracles that we've been preaching about, most of them have instructions. I'm not real sure why Jesus chose for this man to go with clay in his eyes and wash in the pool of Siloam. I don't know why that method was chosen, but just bear with me for a minute. Just like my granny Brandon became helpless in her latter days, she became needy. She always had to have someone else. This brother was born blind and he spent his whole life having to lean on others. When he couldn't do anything, he had to lean on everybody else to help him out. He had to have friends help him out. Had to have parents help him out. He had to have everybody help him out. And the Lord does things in complete works. And Jesus not only wanted to give him his sight back, but he wanted to restore his dignity. He wanted him to become less helpless and see that he could do some things on his own with instructions from the Lord. And God put that clay in his eyes. He said, go and wash in the pool of Siloam. He had to go and wash in the pool of Siloam. And when he went, the text said, he said, he told me to go wash and I went and I washed and I came back seeing. Here's what I want to close with this morning. You're just one step of obedience away from having everything changed in your world. You're one step of obedience away from having your miracle. 
I was recently greeted here at the church with someone that had heard from God that they had to obey this step of confession. And while I sat there in my office, I thought, here this gentleman has come and he feels, he senses that he needed to confess some things. And we understand that from a biblical doctrinal point of view, that we have a high priest in Jesus Christ and that we must take things to the Lord. But he heard in his heart that he needed to come and confess some things. And with that one step of obedience, I'm believing that that gentleman's going to be set free. Chains will be broken off of his life and that he will be delivered by the power of Jesus Christ. I ask you this morning, what do you need to happen in your life? Because you're just one step of obedience away from having your eyesight You're one step of obedience away from having your sins forgiven. You're just one step away from your marriage being restored, from your financial difficulties being equaled out and made right. You're just one step. Everybody say one step. That's all it is. The Lord never asks you to put three or four or five together. He just wants to know, do you have one step? Do you have one step in you to come and try the Lord and give it to God and to trust Him? Just one step. This one step down to the pool of Siloam changed everything. This man was made 